0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall. Welcome back to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. Today we are continuing in our bonus season. We will be looking at a section from one of the lectures that has become David's forthcoming book, Introducing Christian Ethics. Today we're specifically, we're going to talk about our namesake. We're going to talk about Kingdom Ethics. What does it mean to hold a Kingdom Ethic? What is a Kingdom Ethic? Who has a Kingdom Ethic? You know. Kingdom Ethics stuff, stuff like that. So, I hope you enjoy. We're going to keep producing these for a while. People seem to like them. And I guess you do too, because you're here. So thank you. We're glad to have you. As always, you can reach David or myself on our various social medias or our proprietary websites, davidpgushy.com and revjeremyhall.com. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Anyone who reads our book Kingdom Ethics is immediately plunged into a distinctive form of Christian narrative ethics. Glenn Staston and I claim, based on the authority and example of Jesus as recorded in three of the four Gospels, that the Kingdom of God constituted the narrative frame for our Lord's moral teachings, and that it should function in the same way for Christians today. Let me now rehearse that argument, which was sourced in biblical scholarship by major figures Such as W. D. Davies in his book *The Setting of the Sermon on the Mount* (1964), N. T. Wright in *Jesus and the Victory of God* (1996), and Bruce Chilton in *Pure Kingdom* (also 1996). The quote, "Good news of the kingdom of God," Matthew 4:17, was the substance of Jesus' message, his gospel. This message had Old Testament roots, especially passages from the prophet Isaiah that were especially influential in shaping Jesus' own ministry, consider Isaiah 9, 35 and 60. Jesus clearly situated his own ministry within the prophetic hope and promise of a future redemption of Israel and the world, in which sinful human and demonic rebellion against God is defeated and God will reign in all creation as the Creator King rightly deserves. Jesus reflected the this-worldly orientation of the Jewish tradition in viewing God's redemptive triumph as consisting in deliverance from captivity, justice prevailing over injustice, peace ending war, inclusion overcoming exclusion, healing beating sickness and death, and joy finally winning out over sorrow as God comes in power to rule. Quote, God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, it's from Isaiah 25 and echoed in Revelation 21. We call these characteristics of God's reign the seven marks of the kingdom. This kingdom of God narrative is apocalyptic in that it, quote, purports to unveil the meaning of past, present, or future historical events as part of God's redemptive plan. That's from K.E. Glossary, page 450. Jesus chose to focus on, adopt, and reframe Not just the prophetic part of the Jewish tradition, but the apocalyptic component of some of the prophets. It is also eschatological in that it has to do with the decisive events scheduled by God for the end of time. We suggest that the teachings of Jesus about the kingdom of God not only offer a narrative frame for the moral lives of his disciples, but also specify a large number of moral norms, practices, and virtues that are suitable, fitting, for those living within this narrative. Moreover, we suggest an inaugurated eschatology approach to Jesus and the kingdom, in which Jesus' coming initiates the end of days, which will be fully consummated at Jesus' return. This gives Christians both a strong motivation and a clear time horizon for our moral living. The motivation is this. Every time we do an act of justice, peacemaking, deliverance, inclusion, healing, or whatever, we are participating in the advance of the kingdom of God. Our story joins Jesus' story and helps to advance it. The time horizon is this. We, the church, will participate in kingdom advancement until the end. Another way to conceptualize this is that the eschaton is reaching back toward us from the future. And we glimpse it, taste it, even help bring it into reality in our world as we live kingdom of God lives. This is sometimes called proleptic theology and ethics, and is associated with the work of Ted Peters, especially his 1992 book, God, the World's Future. Peter says that we participate in the coming future by living according to its terms right now, and this way the future breaks into the present through us. This kingdom-focused narrative framing puts Christian morality into a cosmic, Jesus-centered narrative frame it provides a deep grounding for a social justice and world peace orientation that addresses vast social sins with the social gospel. In this approach, there is no arena of life that is exempt from searching kingdom of God reflections and action, leading to a clearer moral purpose for the average local church and a deeper emphasis on Christian mission as being about moral action in this world as well as preparing souls to meet God and enter eternal life. 5.4. Problems with the Kingdom Ethics Narrative Frame It seems fitting to address some of the problems or at least challenges that can arise in relation to the Kingdom of God frame for Christian ethics. 1. It can be disputed whether Jesus himself really believed that his own story was an inaugurated eschatology. Perhaps he believed that his coming was, was going to trigger the end of the age immediately, or at least imminently. The evidence for this includes statements in the gospel accounts in which he suggests that the end is at hand or that people who are listening will not die before they see it. Look at Mark 13.30. 2. As Jewish scholars routinely point out, while the Jewish hope of redemption was and is this worldly and does indeed involve the comprehensive healing of this broken world, in Hebrew, tikkun olam, neither the earthly Jesus nor the church achieved anything like this redemption children are still murdered, economic injustice is still rampant, bigotry still poisons relationships. It is hard to accept that Jesus has, quote, inaugurated a new age when the evidence of the promised change is so sparse. 3. Apocalyptic literature is among the most fantastical, some might say desperate, in all the Bible. It emerges from people in crisis and, it can be argued, deals with deep suffering and broken dreams by projecting vengeance and rescue scenarios. In other words, many believers in many religions have gone wrong reading apocalyptic sacred texts as if they provide sure guidance for action in the real world. For this reason, some argue, these texts really do not provide a secure basis for everyday Christian ethics. 4. The idea that Christians get to participate in advancing God's kingdom might inappropriately shift the balance between God's redemptive action and our own. We become the ones who bring in the kingdom through what we do. Now, the counter to this argument is that God has always invited cooperation from obedient believers in bringing redemption. Look at Noah or Abraham and Sarah or Moses or David or Paul. Stassen and I say in kingdom ethics that participative grace is God's recurring pattern toward us, not overpowering divine action to which we simply surrender. Still, some worry that this approach is too human-centered. 5. It has been easy for Christians to over-identify their their understanding of moral progress with God's own kingdom. Peace is temporarily negotiated between Iceland and Greenland, and we see a victory for the kingdom. Social insurance is enacted that provides a better safety net for the poor, and we claim a kingdom win. Or worse, a revolution topples the Tsar in Russia, and some call it a victory for God's reign, despite the abundant bloodshed that follows. Don't we need a way to think about morality, even social justice efforts, that is smaller, more incremental, and this-worldly, that sees good reasons to do good moral work in the world, but without sweeping everything up into the massive story of the coming of God's kingdom? Who are we to say that this or that thing that happens is a victory or defeat for God's own kingdom? 6. Kingdom of God thinking has been pegged as a temptation to a wild-eyed millenarianism, This is the term for the belief by a religious, social, or political group or movement in a coming fundamental transformation of society, after which all things will be better. Visions of global transformation can tempt fanatics and revolutionaries to topple thrones and powers in the name of their dream. And what happens when millenarian dreams go sour and their adherents plunge into despair? 7. It is very difficult to maintain a time-urgent eschatological vision when Jesus keeps not returning and history keeps not ending historical theologians can easily document how quickly mainstream christianity quieted its apocalyptic fervor after jesus's ministry the seemingly unreachable kingdom dream of global moral transformation changed into a more imaginable dream of a seedling of new humanity coming to exist in the church of jesus christ indeed over time language about the kingdom of god either dwindled to insignificance or shifted to mean variously a the church b heaven or c earthly christian kingdoms from constantine forward this can be critiqued as a great loss of the church's primal moral vision and it was thus critiqued by walter Rauschenbusch and other early 20th century leaders of the social gospel movement but the problem remains the human nature bucks hard against eschatological visions when they never yield the eschaton. 8. Finally, some theologians and moral thinkers have concluded that it is sounder to focus on what God has already done in Christ than on what will purportedly one day happen at the end of time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a major example of a Christian thinker who never ceased to focus on Jesus Christ, but whose grand narrative was of God's having become human, which has already happened, instead of the coming of the kingdom in the future. For Bonhoeffer, because God became human in Christ, humanity is reclaimed, the image of God is restored, and humans are invited to accept reformation into the image of Christ that was always God's plan for human flourishing. In terms of narrative, Bonhoeffer offers a kind of realized eschatology, centering on the implications of what God has already done in Christ. Bonhoeffer explicitly rejected rooting Christian ethics in the narrative frame of the kingdom of God, which he identified with the end of the world. He writes, No one has the responsibility to turn the world into the kingdom of God, but only of taking the next necessary step that corresponds to God's becoming human in Christ. That's from his Ethics, page 224-225. Jens Zimmerman, in his magisterial 2019 book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Christian Humanism offers the best recent account of how Bonhoeffer's theological ethics are structured in this way. But what are we to make of the stubborn fact that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God? This is the reason why many find themselves embracing a kingdom ethics, because Jesus himself did so.